This episode of Let's Talk About Chef is shockingly being brought to you by the New York Times. The New York Times is the best newspaper in the world, and quite frankly, you will be a better, more informed, more intelligent, and more well-rounded of an individual if you read it. You can go online at any point and read up to 10 articles a month for free with absolutely no hard feelings, but if you want to read more than 10 articles a month, you can get a digital subscription to, again, the best newspaper in the known world for $1 a week. $1. 10 dimes. Or four quarters. That's nothing. That is quite literally the smallest amount of money you could conceivably spend on something worth anything at all, and the New York Times is worth so much more than that. In fact, I quite frankly think that $1 a week is too little. It should be more. I could see it being something like 10 bucks a week, maybe 5 bucks a day. I mean, the New York Times literally has journalists all over the world, in war zones, right now, in countries that kill journalists, all trying to get to the root of the story, trying to bring you the truth, the real news. And $1 a week is frankly insulting to their efforts. But hey, I'm not here to tell the New York Times what to do. I'm sure they just want me to shut up and just tell you to go to NewYorkTimes.com to spend $1 a week for a subscription. So there you go. Subscribe to the New York Times for a dollar a week. Before we begin this week's episode of the podcast, I just want to say thanks to everyone for listening. I know that may seem strange, but Let's Talk About Chef has grown to be one of the most popular food podcasts. I owe that to listeners like you telling other people about the show, and I sincerely thank you for that. I get emails constantly from listeners all over the world and countries like Japan, South Africa, Turkey, and France. It is mind-blowing to me, and I truly appreciate each and every one of you that take time out of your busy lives to listen to me rant about food and chefs and restaurants. If you want to write into the show, you can send everything to letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com, or you can follow me on Instagram at Chef Brian Clark. I do get kind of animated in this episode, and I swear a little bit, so if that offends you, I'm sorry. Um, But that's it from me. Let's get right into this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef. There is a dark secret that floats through the culinary world. A secret that cooks and chefs don't want to tell you. They don't want to acknowledge it, and they don't want to pretend that it exists. Of course it's silly, ridiculous even. But if others found out, if others knew that deep down the admiration and respect that we all have or have had... For the unspoken one, chaos would ensue. The unspoken man has been the laughing stock of restaurants for as long as I can remember. He has been a running joke on South Park, late night TV, stand-up sets, and social media seemingly endlessly. He has been the butt of jokes, universally hated in public, despised even, for trying to help kids eat healthy, trying to change how the world eats putting a death-to-fast-food chant into the air. And despite how you may feel about Jamie Oliver, and mind you, he is annoying, most cooks and chefs adore him or have adored him at some point in their career. He has inspired just as many, if not more, cooks to head to kitchens than Anthony Bourdain. And long before you started eating organic, eating healthy, teaching your kids to cook, or freaking out about how many calories you were consuming, there was Jamie Oliver standing on his soapbox and yelling about the merits of creme fraiche, free-range eggs, eating less sugar, or drizzling shit with organic olive oil. He hasn't become the most wealthy chef in all of history, 
one of the most recognizable people on the planet from lack of passion or trying, or fear of ruffling some feathers. I'm also fairly convinced that he must either have an insane ability to shelter himself, or he has one of the thickest skins of any human on Earth. But despite all of that, there is also another side of this coin. The one where we look at the failures, the controversies, the money, the closing of restaurants in four weeks after buying a $9 million house. And so, today on Let's Talk About Chef, does Jamie Oliver suck? An investigation that nobody asked for. Couple of tablespoons, three or four of extra virgin olive oil. Olive oil goes back into the pan. Potatoes in. Let's have a little bit of olive oil. Put some olive oil, just a couple of tablespoons. Drizzle that with some olive oil. And just finish it with a tiny bit of that oil on top again as well. A little bit of extra virgin olive oil. Uh, also a little bit of olive oil. All they need is a tiny bit of oil. I don't remember the first time I watched Jamie Oliver on TV, what episode it was, but I do know that I was 18 having just gotten back from a trip to England and my poor suburban brain had been shocked by the food in pubs that I had been sneaking into away from the rest of my peers on the school trip. England, if you haven't been, is soaked in history. It seeps with it. And I was soaking it all up like a constantly half-drunk on Guinness underage sponge. And Jamie Oliver was everywhere. Now, Jamie at Home wasn't Oliver's first show. It wasn't his second show. Oh no, dear friends, he was already well on his way to becoming a multi-millionaire, cookbook author, TV show-making, lisping juggernaut, and I was all in. There was something so peculiar about Oliver that made him stand out from other TV show cooks. He was so casual, so relaxed. The Food Network at that time actually had shows about making food not some ridiculous antics of food truck wars, or watching children make food that's way too complicated for them and then we delight in when they cry. No, no, back then the Food Network was actually about food, and the vast majority of shows were hosts like Bobby Flay and that backyard barbecue guy, and of course Emeril cooking up spaghetti in front of TV audiences, who would clap and cheer with some insane version of Beatlemania whenever some garlic was added, or they would radiate fake passion for food while standing in an immaculate kitchen and shot from five different angles while they salted a piece of meat. And then you had Jamie Oliver sitting on the grass near a river next to a fire with a cutting board in his lap, salting a fish and putting it on a grill over an open flame. The veg he would pull out of his garden with his bearded hippie gardener Brian. And I mean like, come on, if you're not into the sheer sexiness of that, I don't know what your problem is. But we don't get to seeing Oliver sitting on the banks of his estate next to a fire without first explaining how he got to being worth over $400 million with a global cooking empire that goes to quite possibly one of the oddest chances of luck you can imagine. 
Jamie had grown up cooking in his parents' restaurant, The Cricketeers, in Clavering, England, and he went to school in all things home economics. His first real restaurant job was as a pastry chef at Antonio Carlucci's Neal's Yard restaurant, where he first started learning how to make Italian food. And it was at this restaurant that he met his mentor and constant guest of all his shows, Gennaro Contaldo. But working as a pastry chef in the restaurant on Neal Street wasn't enough, and so Jamie decided to apply at the best Italian restaurant in London, and that was the River Cafe. The year was 1997. And the BBC was filming a segment called Christmas at the River Cafe. The River Cafe, if you don't know, is an iconic restaurant in London. Opened in 1987, it was one of the first real Italian restaurants in the city featuring real Italian food, not lasagna and spaghetti with red sauce. The River Cafe was run by two very famous in their own right chefs named Ruth Rogers and Rose Gray, and it was quite literally the place that you go if you want to be seen in London. The BBC was featuring the restaurant while Ruth was cooking Christmas dishes in the kitchen, along with help from her sous chefs who would work the line and they would be filmed. Now, on the day of filming, the sous chef who was supposed to be working on camera that day called in sick. And so the other sous chef, Jamie, was called in to take his place on his day off. The screen time that Oliver has in this one BBC Christmas special is short. He makes pasta, talks about parsley, helps his chef de cuisine with trying to tie up a pork tenderloin, and talks his way hurriedly through a very busy dinner service. Each dish he cooks, he explains to the camera. But the thing that you take away from the about four minutes of screen time is that the scrawny 19-year-old is somewhat of a natural on TV. He's moving fast, a lot faster than if he was on one of his television shows because he's cooking in a restaurant during a service, and he's doing it extremely well. But in no way is he pandering to the audience. He's busting food out. He's pumping it out. And that few minutes of him cooking and talking resulted in eight different television production companies blowing the phone off the hook at the River Cafe the day after the special aired. Not for reservations. They all wanted Jamie Oliver. And the clip I'm about to play you is a young Jamie Oliver in chef's whites rolling out pasta then explaining what he's doing. This is one of three segments that he has that all last under a minute. The craziest thing is that there are other sous chefs at the River Cafe cooking dishes and explaining them just like Jamie does, but for some reason, television producers said that he shone through the television set. I'm not sure what that means, but here's the clip. Jamie's cooking a rotolo, fresh pasta with spinach, ricotta, and porcini. This rotolo's been on for about 15, 20 minutes now. Um, as you can see, it's boiling away quite smoothly. I'm going to pull it out now. I've got three orders on, so I've got to really move it. Drain it a bit. I've got some sage butter here, touch of pepper. I'm going to give that to Theo, and he's going to finish it with a little bit of parmesan. A year later in 1998, his first show, The Naked Chef, premiered. And that, oddly enough, was pretty much that. One random appearance in the background of a BBC documentary had launched one of the most successful culinary careers ever. 
And the reason that so many people tuned into this Vespa-driving 21-year-old who was making food for his friends was because Jamie Oliver had cracked the code for being a success in food. You make food that's delicious, but it's easy to make with good ingredients. That's it. That's his secret. You don't need to be a master chef to make Jamie Oliver's food. You don't even really need to know how to hold a chef's knife properly. He has made his bones by instructing people to buy good ingredients that taste delicious for his dishes, and then by doing very little to them, you in turn make them delicious tasting. The Naked Chef ran for three seasons and two Christmas specials, during which the cookbook onslaught started, with his three books all under the Naked Chef title. By the year 2000, he was the new spokesperson for grocery store Sainsbury's in England for a deal worth to the young TV chef around $3 million a year. It was then that Oliver decided to open a restaurant called 15, his flagship restaurant in the heart of London. And along with that, he would film a reality show of sorts where underprivileged teenagers and young people would learn how to cook and vie for a spot in the kitchen, and the show was called Jamie's Kitchen. Jamie's 15 restaurant was a great restaurant. Good food, modern menu, and because of the show's success, he opened Jamie's 15's restaurants all over the globe. Meanwhile, the television shows he made just kept coming. Jamie at home took viewers to his summer house in Essex, where I have already said we watched him make simple food in his garden. His celebrity kept rising. His name and face kept becoming more popular. And then he decided it was time for people to eat healthy. By 2005, Oliver launched his new show, Jamie's School's Dinners where he spent his time in school cafeterias in England trying to make the school lunches more healthy, much to the angst of the cafeteria workers, the children, and most of Great Britain. A lot of people groaned at the earnestness that he was portraying, which is kind of weird when you think about it. Despite the headaches and the fact that the children basically hate vegetables, he was able to get the British government to pledge £280 million to improving school meals for the next three years. After school dinners were conquered, he set his sights on the battery-farmed chicken industry launching Jamie's Fowl Dinners. And after his show, supermarkets reported a high increase in free-range chicken and egg sales, which again, is not a bad thing. Battery chicken farming is messed up, and using his celebrity to try and bring a change to that worked. So using his celebrity to try and better the world, that doesn't make him suck. Making shows and writing cookbooks that taught millions of people to enjoy cooking doesn't make him suck. But now, dear friends, now we get to figure out what happened next. When the celebrity got too big, too many restaurants opened too quickly, too much money was being made, too many fine food stores opened, and one multi-multi-multi-millionaire celebrity chef at the center of it all. All of this on our quest to find the answer to the question nobody asked me to figure out. Does Jamie Oliver suck? This episode of Let's Talk About Chef is being brought to you by Jamie Oliver's new cookbook, Seven Ways Easy Ideas for Every Day of the Week. Jamie's new book is being released on October 20th, and you can pre-order his new cookbook filled with recipes that will be sure to please the whole family on Amazon or from jamieoliver.com, or more preferably, you can pre-order it from your local independent bookstore who could probably really use the help. Full Disclosure Jamie Oliver and his new cookbook are not sponsoring this episode. I just feel like it might be nice for me to say that you should get his new book because I'm quite frankly afraid of his lawyers, and maybe this way they won't mind that I'm kind of taking the piss out of their boss today. I should probably also say that Jamie Oliver in no way supports, knows about, or even in the slightest sense would agree with this sponsorship. 
In fact, about seven months ago, I reached out to Jamie Oliver to try and interview him for this podcast, and was told rather rudely by one of his publicists that he was fully booked until January of 2021, and that she didn't know what Let's Talk About Chef was, which is fine, didn't care that I had interviewed Grant Ackett's, didn't know who Grant Ackett's was as a reference, or had one of the biggest food podcasts of 2020, because Jamie only talks to multinational publications. Well, to whomever that publicist is, I will not name you, karma's a bitch. I hope you specifically enjoyed this episode, and to Jamie Oliver, if you ever hear this, get a new publicist. Order Jamie's new cookbook, October 22nd. Oh, and subscribe to the New York Times. In 2008, Jamie Oliver opened his first Jamie's Italian restaurant. It was, of course, a celebrity chef restaurant, in that there wasn't really much about Jamie Oliver other than cheekily named dishes and Italian fare. But it was very, very good. And at the root of everything that Jamie does, he is an Italian chef. People enjoyed them. Jamie's Italians started to pop up everywhere as a result, in every market you could imagine. Alongside his growing a Jamie's Italian were restaurants called Barbacoa with celebrity barbecue chef Adam Perry Lang. He also opened lots of fine food stores called Recipes, which of course featured all of his products, plateware, tea fowl stuff, pan seasonings, and that really weird flavor shaker thing. And on top of all of this, he was also making television seemingly constantly. He was also releasing cookbook after cookbook, and this is when people really started to have an issue with Jamie Oliver. For starters... The chef had pretty much made a career advocating for less sugar in the diets of British citizens, and yet his cookbooks were constantly filled with sugar-filled desserts and cocktails. The British government had recently imposed a sugar drinks tax, thanks to Jamie Oliver, and yet in all of his restaurants, the cocktail list was made up of sugary drinks. Now, that may seem trivial, and believe me, I honestly don't really care about that one, but Jamie Oliver has made so many people angry for so many reasons that it almost warrants its own entire show. But here for you now is a brief history of Jamie Oliver pissing people off. Oliver managed to piss off the entire nation of Spain when he made his take on the classic paella. In his, he didn't make it in a paella pan. First no-no. He also included chorizo sausage, which infuriated the country of Spain to the point where it was the number one trending thing on Twitter, and he also got numerous death threats. Okay. In March of 2016, Jamie was for some reason trying to say that British women don't breastfeed their children and that the country of England has one of the lowest rates of natural breastfeeding in the world. And as a result of this, he was going to push for an initiative that will create comfortable environments for mothers feeding their children. Now, that might seem kind of strange, but unfortunately for Jamie Oliver, he's not a woman and he can't breastfeed children. So his opinion on the matter wasn't really needed. And he also pissed off new mother at the time, Adele, who lost her shit on stage, basically saying he was an idiot. In 2011, Jamie Oliver pissed off the entire city of Los Angeles when he and his family moved there and he tried to criticize and change the unhealthy lunch options at public schools for the second season of his Food Revolution show. As he petitioned for healthier food for children, district officials blamed budget cuts for why there weren't fruit and vegetables available at lunch, and all 75 school districts in the Los Angeles area banned him from filming on campus. And now we go back to the sponsorship of Sainsbury's, the British grocery store. Ads that featured Oliver in England talking about the amazing products you could buy in the grocery store would play constantly in England, literally infuriating the public. Then it was found out that he wouldn't even bring his own family to the grocery store he was the spokesperson of to shop. The press turned on him, 
and called him a fake and a hack, and he was even ranked number 28 on a Channel 4 countdown of the top 100 worst British people. The BBC dropped The Naked Chef, and that's when he made the move to, of all channels, Channel 4 in the UK to air his 15-restaurant show, Jamie's Kitchen. And finally, friends, we get to the real heat of this story. We finally get to the absolute collapse of his restaurant empire. In 2018, Jamie's Italian had expanded to being pretty much everywhere in all. He has over 70 restaurants worldwide. But in Britain, his homeland and the country where he is most well known, seemingly overnight, all 22 Jamie's Italians, plus the Restaurant 15 and the Barbacoas and his restaurant in Gatwick Airport and the Union Jacks, all closed. Employees walked up to the front doors of their workplaces to find notices on the doors saying that as of that day, all of them were let go and the restaurant empire in England was gone. Court documents later said that the brand Jamie's Italian was £71.5 million in debt, which is about $93 million US dollars. The debts were made up of £31.5 million in overdrafts and loans, £41.3 million owed to landlords, suppliers, and other creditors, and £2.2 million in money owed to employees. All of the closed restaurants were seized, and the equipment and whatever else could be sold was sold to try and make up for the loss in money owing to creditors. And so, how could this company, this chain of restaurants, gone so wrong? The first warning signs were in 2017, when Jamie's Italian blamed intense competition and rising costs, and they also blamed Brexit, and the fall of the British pound, and that's when the first six restaurants closed. When the accounts for 2016 were published in October of that year, the company had lost 9.9 million pounds, despite making almost 3 million pounds profit the year earlier. With the sales slumping and the company owing almost $10 million, the chief executive officer, Simon Blagden, left the company, and it was put under the control of Jamie's brother-in-law, Paul Hunt who was incidentally fined £60,000 in 1999 for insider trading. A lot of people saw red flags when Hunt was put in control of the restaurants, but Jamie wanted someone he could trust because he was so busy doing other things. Now, the absolute shit show of what happened with Jamie's Italian restaurants in 2018 came after a three-year crash of most of his business ventures in England. By 2014, Jamie admitted that he had lost about £90 million of his own personal wealth. In 2015, he shut the last location of his fine food shops called Recipes. In 2017, he had closed the last four locations of his British-themed Union Jack restaurants. And in October of that year, his own magazine, subtly called Jamie, stopped being published after almost 10 years. So on that day in 2018, when all of his restaurants in England closed and thousands of his employees were suddenly and unknowingly to them out of work, Jamie was filmed by Channel 4 talking to his main office very pissed off, and then was filmed breaking down at his former restaurant 15. The press had a field day, of course. But to his credit, he did what he had to do. It was just kind of odd that you would want to be filmed crying about the restaurant's closing by a news camera on national television. Here's the clip. At its peak, the total number of Jamie's Italians in Britain had grown to 42, and it was turning over £108 million a year. Today, from the south coast through to Scotland, the close signs went up. A chain carrying just one name, now leaving a thousand hours Rising rent costs and reduced footfall are proving to be a toxic pairing. The latest chain to go in what analysts called a brutal trading market. Too big a change for his business to survive. Chris Choi, News at 10. With the administrator now in control and closing down most of his UK outlets... 
Jamie fills in his non-restaurant staff. Thank you, Paul. Morning, guys. Um, so, look, it's a, it's a really tough one. Um, uh, for many, many months now, I've been walking around this office and you've all said, Hi, Jamie, you all right? And I've gone, yes. But the truth was, no, I'm not. It's um, so... Jamie's meeting the administrator at 15 in London to find out what's happening to the very first restaurant he opened. It's, um, it's quite eerie. It's... It's really eerie, it's and I don't weird, like isn't it. it. Yeah. I don't know. It's like in the films when the bomb's gone off and everyone has to leave and everything's just left. My God. It's tough. I've been so stressed. I've been... So it's gone. It's tough. Over there on the pillow, you'll see it. the pillar there was um, two plaques from students that died but it's a lot of history here isn't it <clears throat> yeah So, Will, uh, what happens now? When's the end? We will try and sell what we can from, from here and from the other sites across the country. Um, but, you know, I don't think our expectations are set that high in terms of what we're going to realise. We'll use that money then to pay what we can to creditors. Uh, and at the end of that process, the company will, will be dissolved and will be no more. To survive in this industry is really tough. I was very naive at the time. I was good at running one restaurant. But I wouldn't call myself a businessman. I'm kind of like, you know, good at quite a few things, but not necessarily brilliant at everything. And I think, like, we did it plenty wrong. I opened lots of big restaurants, and I, I think people like smaller, medium-sized restaurants, and that's you kind of have these big cathedrals that you can't fill. And then it seemed like the fury ended. The media started to feel bad for the celebrity chef, and he seemed to be truly, genuinely sorry for everything that had happened. But then, not two weeks later, he and his wife bought a $9 million house in Essex. And the fury came back hard. He 
so many real things at hand. We could have never had it all. We had to hit a wall. So this is inevitable withdrawal. Even if I stop one of you, that perspective pushes true. I'll be some next man's other woman. So. There is something important to talk about here, a point that seems to constantly be forgotten when talking about Jamie Oliver, and that's that he's never taken a dime from any of his restaurants. In fact, even though his business suffered in England, his restaurants abroad were still in a pre-COVID-19 world doing extremely well. Oliver makes his money from media, selling his image, his TV shows, his cookbooks, and his name, not his restaurants. There is also the fact that he really doesn't have anything to do with the day-to-day of his restaurants other than supply his name and maybe have a say in the menu, but that's pretty much it. He's not at the stove and he's not at the front door welcoming you. How could he be? He is a single-handed global brand, one of the most identifiable figures in modern history, and he's also worth hundreds of millions of dollars. If you think that somewhere right now Jamie Oliver is in his headquarters that's located in a refurbished warehouse in London all by himself, carefully working on his next cookbook, creating a new menu for another restaurant, filming TV himself, cooking the dishes, sourcing the produce, all those things, you are very sadly mistaken. He, of course, has an entire team of people that make his cookbooks with him, create his recipes with him, do his researching, run his restaurants, and create his television shows. He shows up, and he most definitely has the final say. He is not an absentee boss. He is very much hands-on. But he isn't doing everything in his empire, and how could he? His job is to smile, step in front of the camera, be the figurehead, and do what he does best. He sold out a long time ago, and who could blame him? This isn't the 90s, this isn't a punk song, selling out is not a bad thing. Sure, art is great, and so is artistic integrity, but you don't get hundreds of millions of dollars and the ability to set up your children and your children's children financially forever without selling out. Fuck, if tomorrow I get a call from the Food Network, which I have bashed a lot, to host a TV show where I eat fast food all day long, which I hate, and it's co-hosted by an articulate gorilla that throws its poop at bad dishes and pays a cool half million dollars a season? What do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to grab a raincoat and pretend I love McDonald's and that I'm not mortally afraid of gorillas. The one crazy thought about Jamie Oliver is that he was probably just as surprised as his employees when his restaurants all closed in England. He had a board of directors who let him down, didn't tell him how bad things were going, lied to him even, and even though he is now more involved in his restaurants and his brand than ever, mistakes were made. He fucked up. But he also fucked up to the tune of being worth an estimated 400 million. So who is the real loser here? Jamie Oliver sitting in his $9 million estate in England, five kids, a loving wife, 50 plus restaurants worldwide, hundreds of millions in the bank, no real worries, a new cookbook coming out this fall, his 24th, a new television show on the horizon, he's already made 43 different shows, a new government mandate to try and save kids from obesity, another late night show to go on and entertain people, sure, Adele hates his guts, and most of the British male population and most common people are also sick of him telling them to eat healthy, but then again, who cares? He hasn't gone away. He gets beaten to shit in the public eye, and then he gives him the middle finger and goes, hey guys, check out this sweet salad, I'm gonna drizzle some fucking olive oil on it. Right now, Jamie Oliver is probably wandering his fields and plucking eggplant from his garden, dousing it in his own brand of extra virgin olive oil, and then driving away in his own model of Range Rover that is a mobile kitchen on fancy wheels. Do you think he cares what you or I think? 
No, probably not. His life is the way it is because he went to work as a sous chef on his day off at the River Cafe when the other one called in sick. One day, one show, one chance that was lucky as hell and probably about a one in a billion chance. But he has also worked his ass off every day since then. To have achieved such staggering success at such a young age and still be sane is remarkable. You don't need to look very hard to find other young celebrities who didn't make it after achieving fame as quick as Oliver did. He has sold, in his life, 27 million pieces of Tefal cookware. He has 7.3 million followers on Instagram, 4.3 million on YouTube. He has over 67 million people in his global TV audience. He has sold over 45 million cookbooks. Last year, he made 7.3 million pounds alone from cookbook sales, and only J.K. Rowling with Harry Potter has sold more books than him in England. His Ministry of Food has trained over 100,000 people to cook healthy meals. He has a new North Star 2030 project trying to half childhood obesity and is the father of five children. Now, they are named Poppy Honey Rosie Oliver, Petal Blossom Rainbow Oliver, Buddy Bear Maurice Oliver, Daisy Boo Pamela Oliver, and River Rocket Blue Dallas Oliver. Make what you will of that horseshit, but he is still happily married to his wife of 20 years. And so, in conclusion, the final answer to the investigation that nobody asked for, Jamie Oliver does not suck. But he is kind of fucking annoying. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef. It was written by me and produced by Timothy McDonald. I want to thank the New York Times for letting me continue to talk about them, and I also want to thank Jamie Oliver's lawyers preemptively for not suing me. If you want to write into this show, you can send everything to letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com, or you can follow me on Instagram at Chef Brian Clark. Incidentally, if you are a representative for Jamie Oliver, please send everything to fake email address at imnotsorry.com. We will be back as soon as we can be. And so, until then, as always, I'm Brian Clark. Have a great service, and have a great week.